feel like entrepreneurs, sometimes they make decisions to create challenges to give themselves a reason to stop moving forward. So they can get high on either solving it or surviving. So you believe as entrepreneurs, we're like addicted to solving problems and a addicted thousand. to being a hero. It's literally. It's like Superman complex. It's, it's Superwoman. If I don't and women. see a fire that I can put out, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? We need to move away from the desire of being a firefighter to being a fire preventer. everybody welcome back to the average suck show we have an incredible guest today the fact that you are an entrepreneur or you help another entrepreneur grow their business Dan Martell, who you're about to meet here in a couple seconds, is here to make your life easier. Whether you're stressed, you're struggling, or you're wanting to figure out how do you build your team, how do you find the right talent that you're looking for in your life, he has spent the last 20 plus years of his life coaching and working with the largest companies in the world. He comes from the software world, he works with thousands and thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs in the SaaS world, but on top of that, entrepreneurs all over the place. He is the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Buy Back Your Time. I gotta tell you, every one of you, by the time you're done, you have got to read this. We've known each other for about seven years. We reconnected again, and one of the coolest things about this is this man has been through every single challenge and opportunity that you face in your business, and I can guarantee you, in the next hour on this show, you are gonna learn pitfalls and ideas and things that are gonna allow you to grow your business to the next level. So Dan. I am so thrilled you're here. This is gonna be super exciting. I'm excited to dig deep. Even what we covered earlier was amazing. And uh, let's do it, man. I'm super excited we get to reconnect again, my friend. Oh, that is the pleasure. under the microphone. Dude, you're such a fast talker. I do talk fast. I figure to give uh, double the information and half the time. I Pl love it. Plus I'm from Jersey, yeah, man. Nobody's doing 1.3. No! When you're talking. No, you're doing like, people <laughs> say like, I get a 1.3, not on my shit, <laughs> no, right? No, no, no. So I talk fast for a couple of reasons. One is the mind doesn't learn as quickly slow. I'll explain that later. Okay. And because a lot of people want to talk to the conscious mind, which is the weak part of the brain, mm -hmm. but the unconscious mind takes in everything. So if I can overload it, you can actually get people to listen. I'll discuss that in another show with you okay. another day, how we found that for attention span. So my most unfavorite question I ever get, I get off stage, I do an entire event, I'm in the back, signing books for people, talking, and people walk up and go like, so what made you get started? And I hate that question. Mm. And the reason I hate that question is because it's really irrelevant to, I just spoke for an hour, and I have no interest in covering that now because I just gave the yeah. keys to the castle. Let's talk about real stuff. So better question for you, uh, rather than how did you get started, uh, what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? You know, it's such a fun, it, it's a fun question because like it's, what was the first domain I bought? I'm what was talking the first like, project? I'm like talking what's the first like, thing that somebody paid me for? I don't know for? if it's even legal in Canada. What was the first shit you were selling? Okay. At what age? I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go, give you the real, go, real. Let's go never, real. Never share this. First thing I ever got paid for something I built, okay? I grew up like, you know, I got in a lot of trouble I talked about in the book, but once I got clean after rehab, learned to write code. Did okay? you sell that stuff too? Uh, yeah. Okay, so that was your oh, first. Oh, technically that is the first business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. So here, here's what I learned as a 15 year old. If you have a drug addiction yes. um, and you can't afford to buy it yourself, if the dealer will front you the drugs and you sell the drugs, then you'll have a little ex like leftover. Got it. So you didn't yeah. watch Scarface, don't get high in your own supply. No, I okay. was 
fully high on my own supply. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I got into smoking weed and PCP and, you know, pretty much. I mean, back in the day, it was just like not feeling. I just didn't want to feel. I didn't know it at the time, but. But that was yeah. your first business? That was, I. yeah, I had, uh, yeah, I was uh, a lot of business acumen. Okay, street supply smarts. and demand, yeah, street supply and demand. Yeah, and then what I got good at is I would then buy larger quantities and then I became the guy that fronted to the other people and then they went and did the same thing. She so, yeah. Yeah. You didn't look at it this way. Many entrepreneur. You? Yeah. My dad always joked. He said, if you could just find something you're passionate about that isn't illegal, I think you'd do okay with life. But it took a while for me to figure that out. It's interesting you say that because when I was in recruiting back in the day for salespeople, I always found the guys that got sober that were dealers, some of the greatest recruits you could ever bring on because they knew how to deal with tough situations, risk stress, taking, risk chaos, taking, but they got to get uncertainty. sober for years. Oh, I would yeah. never, but most call centers are full of guys totally. that are either getting sober or figured it out. So yeah. that was your first endeavor. hundred percent. And and like, that's the thing that I'm, I get the most excited about is speaking to those kids to like, to this day, I find them and I pretty much sell them on the idea that like, there's a lot of people that go and get MBAs and the business, the business people you know about, yep. but I'm telling you, like you have all the fundamental skill sets, the belief sets, the mindset to be one of the best entrepreneurs out there. Because again, you learn at a young age to deal with uncertainty yep. and to the person who can, deal with the most amount of uncertainty and keep moving forward, that's what entrepreneurship is. So you talk to these kids, do you think if a 15 year old, if you would have come, if you were the uncle or you were in a 15 year old's life and they mm. had an opportunity to be an entrepreneur, like get their dopamine, their norepinephrine, their serotonin, their, their oxytocin hit yeah. from an uncle that would have said, whether it was Amway joining or it was like you were their uncle and you were teaching them SAS. Do you truly believe that if you started a young kid like Corbin who started with us at 14 years yeah. old, do you think that that could possibly take over the need for the drugs? Yeah, I, you know what's funny is my, uh, um, my mom's brother, Manonk Danielle, he's from Montreal. Um, he always said this to me when he would come visit in the summer and he heard about the trouble I was getting in. He said like, you know, when you're ready, if you need to come live with me, I'll show you a different way. Cause I, I grew was up- Was he an entrepreneur? Yeah. I didn't know it at the time. Because that's was, a French word, isn't it? Entrepreneur. He, he was in the mafia. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so I didn't so you, know got, you got, this is a great podcast. You got mafia me, and drug dealers. Literally, my mom told me later, like, your uncle is in the mafia. And I was like, oh. French Canadian mafia or yes. Italian? Uh, Italian and uh, he was adopted. My mom and him were both adopted by their parents. Okay. But uh, it was funny because he drove a Porsche. And I'm like, how is Manon so wealthy? And it turns out he was entrepreneurial, but he would just, you know, and like, it was so weird. We would like end up with like 200 pairs of rollerblades in our basement. Yeah, they fell off a truck. Yeah, I'm like, mom, where did this come from? She's like, you know, your uncle had extra supply and he sent it to us. He said we could sell them and keep the money. I'm like, okay. Like, anyway, so essentially, could somebody at that point have shown me a different path that would help me get sober? The answer is maybe, but the, the thing that I think what I think about today when I speak to those kids is I always ask myself, and this is really what drives me every day is, you know, people talk about this quote that says, you know, become the person you needed most in your darkest days. That's big. Yeah, and I actually ask myself that almost daily. Like, so become the, the person, person you needed most in your darkest days. That's big. Have I become the person that if I showed up to the 15 year old Dan, mm. would he listen to me? Interesting. I don't so it's know yet. He might not have listened, but it would have been an option. It would it require an environment. Like would a 15 year old Dan watch a guy show up in a blue McLaren, you know, and says, get in the seat, drive him to his private jet and show him a completely different life of like, I'm a bit of an adrenaline like guy, right? Okay. From like rally car racing to snow biking to, 
you know, just crazy stuff. Would that Dan go, hey, what did you figure out about life that's different and I'm gonna listen to you? I don't know yet. I don't know. I, I just was dealing with so much darkness. Like, truth is, I just, man, the drugs had a good hold on me, man. Well, it, it's interesting because you, you mentioned drugs and I think a lot of people, they either relate to drugs or don't relate to drugs, but a lot of us are taking a drug of a job we don't want. We're taking mm -hmm. the drug of a relationship that's shit for us, that we're unhappy or we're just settling. And I think of, it's, it's interesting because I'm a pattern guy. Like I'm a pattern recognition guy. I'm, I filled out one of those tests. I'm one of those guys that figures out that Driven, the guy that wrote yeah. the book Driven. Yeah, I, my buddy, Doug Brackman. I love, I, I, yeah. he's gonna be on the show as well. So love Doug. And he is, he talked about me and like my pattern recognition is like through the roof. And what I'm recognizing is that for yourself, the same thing that you needed at that age, you become that person in people's lives now. Like you wish somebody would have swept you off your feet and you could have avoided that, right? 100%. And when you talked about earlier and whether we'll get this into the show or not with Michael, the valet that maybe we get him, maybe we don't, who knows? We become those people in people's lives and we heal them, we help them, we serve mm. them, we get them. So I truly believe that you may or may not be using your 15 year old self as a model of all these people that you come across and going, what would I have needed? How could I have offered that? So you may be taking that quote at the highest level. And that's what I love about what you're doing. It's you're coming in with your capital now, with your resources, with your skill, with your with your stunning charm, do you know what I'm saying? And you're mm. walking into their lives and you're giving them what you wish you would have had it. That is a motivator. And, well, I never thought of it that way. And you'll begin to. And which is which is fascinating. That's and really maybe cool. I never thought of it either. And I'm gonna have to look at that in my life and go, who didn't serve me? Where didn't I need that? So that's big. So this is this is like a really cool conversation. And what I love about this is people in our world and peers and people that we network with. You have a gift, and your gift is, I, I saw you at Genius Network the other day, and you were talking, and how you meet people, how you look for talent, and literally you mm. look to make your life as easy as possible. Why do you feel, and then I wanna get back to, I wanna do the ADD thing, and we're gonna get back to the your first sure. real business. Why do you feel entrepreneurs love to make their lives more complicated than they need to be? Like, why do you feel like we torture ourselves and avoid the people we need to find or try to do it all ourselves? Or like, what 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 have you found that is? There's, I mean, there's so many parts of this, right? I think what I've discovered is entrepreneurs feel comfortable in the chaos. So chapter three of the book is the time assassin. So like, yes, it's about buying back your time and how to hire people and work with them and all that stuff. But it's like most entrepreneurs create their own emotional shrapnel in their life that costs nothing to buy back their time if they were just actually a little bit more responsible for themselves. I think why people do this is to self-sabotage. You know, when I look at entrepreneurs that I work with every day and, you know, they make decisions and when you double click and you ask them, you know, hey, like, where did that come from? Why are you making the decision and what belief do you have around that? And, you know, did you really evaluate that decision against all the other things to solve that problem? They in, it's funny because if you, you get them in a quiet spot and to really reflect, they know better. They know that hiring the referral from a Facebook, does anybody know anybody good? You know what I mean? Like they know that's not the right move. They know that, right there, you know, down, Shia. that's yeah, not the right move. Yeah. Definitely not the right move. Or like, you know, borrowing money from a guy that you barely know that you've heard has sued three other people in the past. Like, don't take that guy's money because you're probably gonna be on the other end of the lawsuit. Like you, you intuitively know it. And I feel like entrepreneurs, sometimes they make decisions to create challenges to give themselves a reason to stop 
moving forward. So they can get high on either solving it or surviving. No different than you as the 15-year-old No different. Addict. So basically a whole new chapter we're going to create called yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the drug yeah. thing. So so you believe as entrepreneurs we're like addicted to solving problems and a addicted thousand. to the hero. It's literally. It's like Superman complex. It's, it's Superwoman. If cover I don't and women. see a fire that I can put out, am I really doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Because at the beginning, that's all it was us. And we were putting out fires all day. We were solving things. So yeah. We got our initial rush from solving a problem. Totally. And now, if you solve the problem and I don't, so how do we how do we heal? We may get back yeah, to yeah. the other stuff or not. This is good. How do we heal ourselves of this desire to solve the problem versus like I'm an entrepreneur. I solve pro I, I solve problems professionally. Like yep. people get on stage with me, and I get them over the big, biggest, most major atrocities in their life, whether yep. it's PTSD, rape, abuse. Uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to get calls from Israel at some point here very soon. Yeah. And I'm mean, Columbine. We had all that those phone calls. Do you yep. know what I'm saying? So I do that professionally, and then Corbin comes in and makes my life easier. Right. Yeah. I'm happy about that because I, yep. I love when Corbin does that. I'm just using him because I'm staring at him right now. How do we do that regularly? How do we allow ourselves to? to do that. This is the frame. People need to understand. I'm going to get my pen yeah, and paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, whether we the podcast keep, works yeah. or not, this is a personal coaching session yeah. for me. We need to move away from the desire of being a firefighter to being a fire preventer. Those are two different things. And I think that once you understand your job is to Good. no longer put out the fire, your job is to prevent the fires, then your frame and the lens of how you look at your work completely changes. So when somebody comes to me with a problem, for example, and I teach this in the book, the 131 rule, I stop, instead of putting out the fire, I say, hey, you tell me, okay? First off, what's the one through one is, what's the one problem we're discussing right now? What problem are we trying to solve? You know this is a coach, yeah. like that is like, I can't, because I, I can go all over the place. What is it that you believe is the one thing? And then once they get clear on the, the problem, which a great, you know, a well-defined problem is half solved, then it's what are the three viable options that you've actually researched and looked into to solve that problem? And they're different, right? It could be from hiring an external person, transferring something to somebody else, yep. creating an SOP, whatever. Like, sh show me your, your considerations. Preventer. And then the last one is, what is the recommendation? What is the thing that you're gonna recommend to me out of those three that you wanna move forward? Because now I'm not a firefighter, I'm empowering somebody else that works on my team to solve problems, they're the firefighter. Then I take all that time back, because eventually if you do that enough time with your team, they will stop coming to you with like little things. And then I go and I say, okay, well, how did that even become a fire? And then I spend time on the fire prevention. I look at the standard operating procedure. I look at the rhythms in my company. I look at the, the meeting cadences. I look at the, our communication strategy inside the team, our information systems, right? Our technology. Okay. And I go, how can we improve the process so that these moments never happen? Will they happen once? Yes. Will they happen twice? Ugh, sucks. Will it happen three times? Now we have a problem. To me, I always tell my team, new problems only. I Got it. Yeah, I'm okay with problems. I like that. But I want new problems. So new problems, if we already solved it, we don't do that again. So here's here's the question. So I have a lot of people, I'm gonna get in the minds of everybody listening. I'm always wanna get in the mind of who's actually listening because yeah. people are hearing you right now. And there's two groups of people. Some group, like, they get it. They, they've got a team, they got 300 people on their team, a lot of the companies that you work with. Yeah. They got 300, 400, 500, 2,000 people. You're working with Facebook, you're working with Meta, you're working with ClickFunnels, like big old companies, right? Yeah. We got people with five people on their team, 25 people on their yeah. team. What was the transition mm. from Dan going, I got, I got to hear about this first business. You did not know this shit in your first business, correct? No, I didn't know okay, this for I, 10 years of I, being I want, in business. I want to talk, I want to spend time figuring out, because they're watching, I'll go, good for you, Dan, sounds yeah. great, I love it. How the hell do I apply this? I want to figure out, encapsulated here, yeah. your first business, 
what worked, what didn't, what you screwed up, what didn't, and then how this journey went Step one, step two, step three to figure this out. Because I know you cover a lot in the book, which yeah. I'm loving. Yeah. Uh, you did a great job. And Thanks. how long did it take you to write that? Two and a half years. I was going to say, that was not a quickie. No. Multiple edits. Yeah. Really wanted that's to make really sure. That's really you. That's not yeah. knowing you. That is you. That's that is me, 100%. Not, no, I didn't hire somebody I, to interview I, me. I could tell that is you were close to the edge of a bridge to jump sometimes because yeah. that was painful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I just told the story. Your soul's about, in there. Even the title of the book, I thought like it was like, I'm all in. I'm gonna put a creative product out there in the world that I probably can't take back. I can't delete a, it's not a YouTube video, you just delete. No, that's you. Yeah, it's printed. Yeah. It's showing up yep. for the rest of my life. You got a that, lot of explaining Yeah, so like those words have to really matter to me. So so for, first business, you're in business, not a drug dealer anymore, you get sober. They'll get that out of the book, which yeah, I want them I mean, to read that out of the book. I just want everybody to understand, like when I started, so I got sober at 17 and discovered programming. It literally saved my life. It became my new which addiction. Which program did you start with? Java, Java okay. program Java? back in the day. Yeah. Wait, wait, okay, nice. Yeah. And um, and then that essentially got me into the business world because I was just building stuff. Okay, so like okay. the first thing I ever sold to somebody else was a s software that would allow you to make, this is back in the day of Napster, it's 98, right? And I had, you know, I was the only friend that had a CD-ROM that could burn CDs. Okay. So my friends would come to my house and you they Napster? would- Napster? Yeah, so they would like look at all the songs I downloaded off Napster, put the playlist together and hit the burn button. And it would, they'd be sitting on my computer. Yeah. So I, the first thing I ever built was an app that you could install at your home on your computer. What was it called? I just built it. It was, like, it was called, but just built it? I think I, I don't even remember what, that's a great question. Did you charge for it? Yeah, I charged okay. 20 bucks for every CD. Nice. But it, but it would synchronize through FTP, so file transfer. It yeah. would like connect. Uh, I'm a Gen X. I get okay, it. so yeah. you get it. Yeah, and most people are like, "What dial up?" So I use LimeWire too. Yeah, well, LimeWire and Napster is like, word. Who's got the best song, right? Who's got the best bitrate or whatever? So I that was the first thing I ever charged for. But that's how I built most of my companies for a long time. Is I had a problem, I would solve it with software. I mean, I built a, essentially, it was called wegotdrunk.com. This is early. I know, I like, again, I'm 17, 18. You're still getting out, you're still getting out yeah, of yeah. it. Yeah, I'm not gonna completely go yeah. sober. No, no, yeah. no, but it's like, the, 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 the my friends did, and this was early days of digital cameras, so yep. they were like, hey, I need those photos, and I'm like, I'll just build this, this, and it was essentially a social network. Yep. You, you create a login, you could go to the photos and look through them, and so I just built stuff that I wanted. I didn't understand the power of proper leverage with people for a decade. So my first company was a, a vacation rental site, maritimevacation.ca, completely. That failed. was your first company? That was the first company. Okay. Yeah, built Did it. Did you run that yourself? Yeah, it was me. I paid my little brother three bucks to enter okay. in some stuff into was a database. Was he a good talent acquisition? No, I, I, no, I sucked at it. No, was yeah. your brother a good talent? Uh, or no. you just, he was the No, bad. I love him though. I love him, but he, yeah, but no. he wasn't the right fit for that job. No, he well, does I mean, that job was data entry in a database, so yeah. Was that what you'd hire him for now? No, my brother's pretty talented. Okay, what I'm getting, so you yeah. put, you took a really talented guy and you gave him data entry. <laughs> I okay, did, I just, yeah. I wanna figure out, cause you, so what all I'm asking is you weren't a genius talent acquisition when you started. Zero genius. So you have hope, folks, you have yes. hope. Yes. yes, and then, so like that company, I got, essentially got customers, made my first like 15 grand, and then at thecottage.com came in and took all our customers. Like, okay. I didn't plan big enough, right? You think about it, maritimevacation.ca, at thecottage.com, you know, they had more features, they had funding, it was just me and my, my dad's apartment. So that was the first one. Then I did a hosting company because anybody builds web apps for people and they pay, you know, then they pay somebody else to host it. I was yep. like, I want you to pay me. So like I'm in a server room setting up the server and all the stuff and emails. And server? It was my buddy, Mike had um, uh, like a data center in an old okay. house. Um, but I mean, this was funny is I spent most of my time freezing my butt off in this room because temperatures yeah. are super low trying to configure mail servers, database, like all this stuff that made no sense. 
And we did that for two and a half years, me and my brother. So he was a sales guy because I was more of an introverted tech nerd. I, I nerded out on all the software we got to buy, right? And, um, and then we got a bank, we had a credit union as a customer and they ported their whole website onto my server. Not a good move. I do not know what I'm doing. And the site went down. What did, this, what did, what did you feel when you got those phone calls? Did it phone calls or emails to start? It was a phone call. My literally, I don't know. It's like the, the my chest, like it was just heavy. Like it was an What'd anxiety. They say? Well, my brother called me and he said, dude, the bank, like credit union, the guy there just called me, the site's down. And I checked and the site was down. Then I looked at the server, I couldn't get in. Essentially we got hacked. So like, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm trying to reset everything up, making sure like unplug the server. Like, I don't know what they're the doing. Bank trusted you. Dude, it was a little credit server. union. They okay. didn't know it any didn't better. <laughs> I mean, that was a problem. My brother was a good salesperson. So that, that, you know, taught me even, but here's the crazy part. They were only paying us 200 bucks a month. Like it was nothing. A bank. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is back in 99. So like, Still. yeah, it's 200 bucks and it was covering, you know, the server and we yep. just, you know, so we weren't making enough. There was no margins. So that's when I learned, like, don't be in business where you can't make any money. Because we weren't making any money. We lost, me and my brother each lost 10 grand. So, you know, at 20 years old, lines of credit that, you know, somehow we got approved for, they're maxed out. We got to shut the business down. So I sucked at business for almost a decade. And you just went in things, out of things, in things, I just things? did, I like, I just didn't do the side hustle. Like when I went into business, I was in it, right? Because I, okay. I mean, I came from nothing. My dad didn't expect anything from me. So like the fact that I was doing stuff that wasn't illegal, he's like, just Got do it. that. I don't expect, like it was actually a gift for me to not have any pressure externally to become any, anything other than stay sober, don't get in trouble with the so law. What was, so what was, the, what was the big shift? So like you had a bunch of businesses, you're doing what most entrepreneurs do, yep. surviving, getting by. Yeah, nice what freelancing. What was the moment? Where it's like, wait a second, I got to do this shit for real. How old were you? I was, was 23. You remember the day? Yeah. Oh, what happened? I, um, my buddy recommended a book called The E-Myth. Okay. And I had a, a great book. So, and I didn't even, I didn't even read books back then. I just, I listened to it. And I remember I was going to meet with a business partner. That's I was in Ohio. About, story about the hotel in California. Totally. The, the brandy or whatever he gets. Yeah. The, that's, yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole book is such a great narrative. Sarah's yeah. pies. And you know, if you listen to the audio, it's him and he's just such so a good. theatric. So I'm listening to this audiobook while I'm driving eight hours to Baltimore, okay? I'm in Ohio, I'm going to meet with my potential business partner, this guy named Clark. He's older than me, like 10 years, and like I was trying to find somebody to help me in business. Which business? Uh, well, we didn't know. We were okay. literally so meeting So you're gonna up. do a business that you don't even know what it is? Nope, we were just sure. like, Clark, I met this guy, he's smart. I'm Seems gonna... like a good name, we'll just work with Clark. Yeah, yeah, well, like he, was, he was Clark seasoned. Ken. Yeah, great. great pedigree on LinkedIn, before LinkedIn. And uh, so I bought this audiobook on the drive, like stopped at the bookstores, about to do this road trip. And I listened to the E-Myth. And I think to myself, as I'm like within an hour or two of this book, like that's the missing part, the franchise prototype, the systems. Like we were just freaking jerry-ringing everything. We had no process and we were hoping it was gonna work. So when I get there to Baltimore to meet with Clark, okay, it's 11 p.m. at night, because I, I left at like four in the afternoon. And I'm, I'm telling them like, we can't even talk until you listen to this book because this is how I need to build my next company. I'm sick of messing around. I'm sick of sucking. I don't want to fail again. Read this book. And he's, he's like, you know, he's 10 years old. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. Let's start working on strategy. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, I need you to read the book. So you were all in on it. I went all in. And how did you do that? Because I've heard that book a thousand times. My brain is, oh, maybe I use some a little help myself. Yeah. I'm visionary, quick start, like level 900 quick start. Like I'm ready to go. Like whatever you tell That's, me, I'm gonna yeah. do it. I bought yeah. your book 
just hearing Dan. Just I didn't know. even need the name. Yeah. So how do you actually get yourself to apply something like that? Because it's genius. I'll tell, and, but, I'll tell you I'm exactly not the what guy. it was. I'm like, Shia, figure this out, yeah. right? No, I think I was trying to, and I think a lot of people do this. I was deferring my confidence to Clark. Okay. And I said, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not deferring my confidence to my brother. I'm not deferring my confidence to it. Like, I'm going to own this. And Clark didn't want to do it the way I thought. So Sunday comes around. I'm getting in my car at noon, driving all the way back. And on that drive, I say, not the right business partner. Couldn't, couldn't see what I was talking about. Okay. And I hit the internet and I found an e-myth coach. Interesting. I hired I at really 23. Yeah. So I hired Bob. Okay. I'm 23. I have very little money in my bank account. I get on the call with Bob. He's an e-myth certified coach out of Canada. And, you know, we're talking about the situation. I want to start this new company. And I, so I have no revenue. And I remember asking him, I was like, well, what's the cost? And he goes, well, the investment's only 1500 a month. And that's a yeah, and that's American. I'm Canadian. Yeah, that's yeah, real that's money. That's like eighteen thousand. Yeah. yeah. So, but I was like, you know what? I can't do it again. I need to at least like learn from my mistakes and do something different. So I hired Bob, and he showed me what business was. Prior to that, I was the the technician. I was the doer, the the in the trenches. Like, because I can do it, I should do it, guy. And he's like, no, you need to begin with the end in mind. So the first thing he made me do was I write up my eulogy. You know how powerful that is yeah. at 23 to write out my eulogy? Yeah. What do you want in the categories of things you want people to say about you? Yep. It's like, okay, well, if that's what I want to end up as, what would I like? What's the steps in the process? And he taught me basic stuff like how to look at team structure and, and meetings and all this stuff. And within our first year, we did almost a million in revenue. Wow. So Bob paid off. Bob paid off. And then the fun part is I rubbed it in Clark's face. Hardcore. Okay, so you went and called him back and said you should have listened to me, and we. I, I didn't really do the pretty woman moment, but okay. I kind of called him to, to, you know, hoping he would say like, "What's new?" And I'd be like, "Well, you know, we did almost a million in revenue in the last twelve months," and wow. he did. What did he say? He did. How the hell did you do that, Bob? I don't want to give my secret. I yeah. just I said, you know, I think I found a different way of building a company. How long did you work with Bob for? About 18 months, two years. Got it. Yeah. And then you outgrew the situation? I totally did. Yeah. I mean, we grew. We ended up being one of the fastest companies to grow in Canada. And it was just because my background in software of building code. And that's that's really what saved my life. I grew up in a lot of chaos. And here I was, the first time I remember ever this hello world. I mean, not even complicated. First time I ever wrote a program was just to get the computer to print out hello world. But there was something about thinking through for the rest of my life, if this code runs and the computer's plugged in, it's always going to do that. So there was some, the, the aspect of having it be predictable actually was really calming for me because I grew up in so much unpredictable, right? So I ended up doing um, that company for four years. And that was where I started to find my demons in regards to people. So I sucked. What do you mean by demons? Dude, I, I was so scared of failing that I went, I didn't know where the magic was coming from. I don't know if you've ever experienced like, yeah. it's working and I've got momentum. Yeah, you just don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah. I don't want it to go away. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just gonna do what I did yesterday. And essentially I was working 100 hours a week, traveling 200 days a year. Along this four year journey, I decide to get in a relationship with a woman. And you know we get engaged, cause that's what you're supposed to do. And I'm like working my ass off to eventually you know build this future together. And on a Sunday afternoon, I come home and she's in tears in the kitchen. And she just blurts out, I can't do this anymore. Cause you're not there. She's just like, I did not sign up for this. Yeah, I'm not there, I'm not even present. Even when I'm physically there, I'm not. 
I'm not there. Like I'd be like looking at you in the eyes going like this, thinking about like closing the next contract or the next hire. I mean, it was when I remember how I thought back then and how I even showed up, you want to talk about team, like short, upset all the time, uh, the genius with a thousand servants, like everybody reported to me. Like it, it wasn't even a consideration, even if I had leaders or managers, no, 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 no. Like I would go direct to the people. It's like, I got this crazy idea on Saturday. I was reading this book, did it to do this. And then he would tell his boss, it would tell his boss, it would eventually be like, stop doing that. And I just didn't know any better. And it, it was a success, but it was hard. I mean, fiance leaves me. I put on like 50 pounds. I'm overweight. I become a multimillionaire company gets acquired and I've never felt so depressed. I was having anxiety attacks. Like my whole identity was tied up into the business and this relationship. And both of those in six month period went away. So, okay, so this is, this is I'm, I'm watching this again, seeing this pattern here right now. So like now you caused the problem for yourself because your first business came out of a problem. Yeah. Your new business comes out of a problem. Yeah. And so you sell that company? Yeah. Okay, you made great money. Yeah. First time. Is that when you became an angel investor? Uh, I started angel investing about halfway through that when I was 26. Got it. So right around the time you had some extra capital. Yeah, literally, I was living people, off believing, nothing. Believing in people, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, When When did it go from, and then I want to get deep into this talent thing. This is great. When did when did you realize you had to now, you figured out the process and systems how to run a business, but you didn't know how to run a life. And you knew how to business run. like Because I don't think they talk about that in the E-Myth. No. And that's what I love about your book versus the E-Myth. So I yeah. got to tell you, Gerber's got, we got to step up the game. He wrote that a long time ago, 30 something years ago, right? You came in and said, okay, got it, but you also have to have a life. And that is, I believe, what's missing. It's processes, but it's like, 100%. it seems you got to run them all. When did it come to you that like, okay, got it. There's a like a, like a people thing I got to figure out here. Yeah, I mean, what happened was, is I was scared after that experience, okay? Because people think- What's your that, definition of scared? Um, what do you mean by that? I was scared that nothing would change going forward. Got it. So you believed if you started a new company, you'd wind up in the same place? I, I, I believe if I started a new company, I would create a lot of pain for people I care about. Got it. So you thought you so you built a model that basically said build company, make money, people get hurt. Yep. Everybody hates you. Nobody likes you. Yeah. You didn't even like yourself at that point. No. I. I no. Okay. And and the problem was is I now had money and I thought money was going to change me. Oh, that's a painful. Work. That's a is a painful. <laughs> that's a big realization. You finally make the six figures, then you make the seven figures, then you make the eight figures. It's like nothing's changed. I'm still the freaking you yeah, know I'm the still, the anxiety yeah. drone, insecure, yeah. driven from dark energy dude that I was yesterday. The bank account changed. I can technically do anything I want, but I am no different, me personally, my emotions, my feelings, the, the way I looked at my world. And for a six month period, I'm seeing a therapist because I'm having anxiety attacks. I'm wondering if I just have to resolve my-, my This is with millions. Oh yeah. American and oh, Canadian yeah, yeah. money. Yeah, yeah. Rubles no, this, and no, everything. No, no. This, no, no. Is... I was, this was multi-millionaire, 28 years old, lived, like I didn't live a big lifestyle, yeah. right? That's how I started yeah. angel investing so yeah. young. So that was, that was, I was done. And what I was worried about was that I should never be in another relationship again, because I should never hurt, I should never do that to somebody else. And, um, you know, I have two brothers and a sister and they, I just thought maybe I'll just be the cool uncle. That's, that's me. I'm good at, at business. Years old. Yeah, 28 years old. I, after a six month period, I remember talking to my therapist. I'm really good at business. what the therapist say? His name is Manuel. He was so funny. He said a bunch of stuff. <laughs> when I was having the anxiety attack, he goes, uh, he goes, you know, Dan, um, water's really good 
for this kind of scenario. So uh, do you have a boat? I'm like, no. He goes, you should get a boat. I was like, so done. Literally this the afternoon, I was at the boat store buying a boat. It was that was actually some really good advice. But I honestly, I don't think he'd ever worked with somebody like me. Like it was fun to talk to. Okay. And you I, had the thing that all of his clients strive for, but he couldn't help you because he couldn't figure out what your real problem he was. He didn't. He was confused. How are you not happy? Okay, I see it. I mean, yeah, it's obvious. Yeah, he, anybody you still didn't that solve no, your fifteen-year-old thing. No, and he and he just was trying to figure it out. And I'm like, dude, I love talking to you, but I don't think I'm I'm making any progress. So, after about six months of you know, after post exit, I'm you know, boat and twenty years old, had a lot of fun, um, build a new house. I decided to to move to San Francisco to Silicon Valley. Okay. Because I figured, like, I get wonder around, if, get around some more dysfunction. Yeah, just like let's go home to the mothership. Yeah, like exactly. I don't know, and uh, and but that was when I discovered a completely different way to look at business. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So um, you're you're in San Francisco. Yeah. And you have still have no plan. You're just going to go basically do. I literally version. do a sabbatical. I say I'm going to move to San Francisco. Hopefully, I find someone. I wasn't even looking for a relationship. No, I mean like a person to do business with. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you keep on trying to find people that that are going to. So funny. Wait yeah. till you hear yeah. the story. You keep like, on finding never, Clark. You keep yeah. on like finding these people. Yeah. Like who's going to show up that's going to yeah. solve this for who's me? Who's going to solve it? Who's going to save me? Again, remember 15 years old, who's going to save me? Just remember that. You know, whenever came and saved you, you got to save yourself. So mm -hmm. you might, I think you've solved that by now. But that's, that's interesting. So just this is my little t take on your greatness. Yeah. So you're coming there, you're looking for something. Walk me through. So essentially, I moved to San Francisco on a sabbatical. I don't want to start another company. Yep. I just want to be around it. I want to learn. I want to see, I want to meet these people that I've been reading about on the internet for years. And probably about, you know, three, four months into it, I meet this this kid, Ethan. A friend of mine knew him, I met him at an event. Kid what? Like, he was, I was 28, he was probably 23, 24. Okay, yeah, and younger. 28, I yeah, yeah, young, right? yeah, yeah. I think no, like a 12-year-old, yeah. Yeah, I, I felt mature compared to Ethan. Ethan was working, uh, I don't even know what he's doing, marketing, video editing for some financial yeah. startup. And we meet, and I just like his vibe. Like, he's just, you know, cool kid. He has a video podcast, and I was thinking, like, video's the future, so, like, teach me what you're doing, how you're doing this podcast. And we just became friends. And what happened was is, well, when I moved down there, I had nothing to do and I was trying to meet people. And it turns out that if you don't have any value to give to a stranger, they don't take meetings. What a crazy idea. Out of desperation, I email Paul Graham. I emailed 100 people, but Paul Graham replied to me. So Paul Graham started Y Combinator, which is the largest, most successful incubator in the history of the world. Wow. So I emailed him this question like, hey, I'm new to the city. I'm trying to make friends. What should I do? And his one, like, one line reply was, every startup needs help with marketing. Because I told him these are my skills, marketing, coding, business development. He goes, every startup needs help with marketing, do that. So the next day when I go to the coffee shop, I turn to this guy to my right who's you know writing code and he goes, what do you do? And I said, I help startups with marketing. And he goes, I'm a startup, help me. That literally changed my life because I then got started getting you his angel. I just kept showing up to help people out, but I would do these two week uh, projects, not even charge for it and just like add value. And through that process, I had a full-time developer, Scott, working with me to build prototypes of different ideas I was having. And we ended up building this really cool technology, but I didn't want to start another company. I was kind of like on sabbatical, said I'm not gonna start anything for a year or two. And I'm talking to Ethan and then one company's like, hey, we need you more than the two weeks. I go, well, my buddy Ethan just got laid off in 2008. So you, Ethan, you should go do this thing. Here's this technology Scott and I built, go, go deploy it. And he started doing kind of the work I would not want to do after I left, like the kind of the fill stuff. 
And within three or four clients, he's like, dude, this is a business. And I go, cool, go for it. He's like, no, 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 I need you to be my partner. And I was like, I'm not starting a company. Because you don't want to hurt anybody or yourself. I don't think I would have said that out loud, but yeah, yeah in hindsight. And um, I remember we were at, you know, late night after an event downtown in the back hall, the alleyway. And he's like, dude, I need you to be part of this. And I was like, I don't want to do it. And he's like, how about you're the non-employee co-founder? So what okay. the heck does that even mean, dude? Like, the, I'm so, so impressed with the creativity. Yeah, he's like, how did you fill that out with the IRS? Yeah, I was like, what? Why? He goes, well, if we ever need to raise money, I need to put your name on this, and it's your code, and I know you're giving it to me, but you know, like, I need you involved. And I was like, dude, if as long as I don't have to do anything, then I'm in. And that's when I first discovered the value of having people that you can work through to get stuff done. So Ethan was the CEO of the company. I was a non-employee co-founder. And over time, he slowly did. Yeah, 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 yeah. The IRS, yeah. yeah. And then he just pulled me in over time. I helped him with the fundraising. It's a no-show job for the mafia. Dude, it was the best. Yeah. And essentially, um, over time, he just brought me into the company. But that was, and then I met a guy named Naval Ravikant, and that that really shifted my my lens. Naval was arguably one of the best angel investors. He started a thing called Angelist. Um, him and Nivi, his business partner, kind of like be, became writing about. Angel Hacks, it was like this blog around investing and watching them go through, because um, the, the, they already went through a lot of pain. They built some companies, got sued with their investors and like 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 serious kind of dot-com stuff. Wow. I, uh, I would listen to everything Naval would talk about. And one of the things I was fascinated was how do people grow these $100 million companies in seven years? Like how does a 23-year-old, how does a 28-year-old build these massive companies in a short time frame? And Naval kind of shared this philosophy about leverage. And it was capital, code, content, and collaboration. The four C's of- uh, you I, put it in that order? Um, no, he didn't even call it that. I, 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 like, to me, I looked at it and said, oh, so what you're saying is the four C's. He called it something else. He might've okay. called it capital, content for sure. You know, I think he called it labor instead of collaboration, just for me, you know, try to make it a pattern. And that was when I realized, oh, I can have a life to the degree that I learn how to perfect these skills. Got it. So I kind of saw the beginning of, if I learn, I can, whatever I want to build. He was a genius with people? Oh, Naval's, a, he's been on Joe Rogan. I mean, he's Okay, just like like genius. Savant. Oh, I know, yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah, Naval. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, yeah, he's a philosopher. Yeah. I mean, Naval quotes yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. He's massive today, but yeah. this is like before he's I think. like, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was just kind of known it's like in the Socrates valley. Socrates of, yeah. of, of, of tech startups. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and that was, that was the unlock. Now, what changed, to your point, doing the work, yes. was it allowed me to create the space to work on me. Okay, so I gotta backtrack real quick. You started a business for yourself, didn't have any money, had to figure it out, have a purpose. Mm -hmm. Finally made some money, healed yourself. Well, no, I didn't. I, st I healed myself after I made some money. But yes. what I mean by that is you made enough money that you can actually breathe for a minute. Totally. Correct? Yeah. Then you transitioned to, wait a second, somebody needs to come into, someone came into my life, kind of helped me, this Naval came into my life, and also the guy that, Ethan, Ethan and all yep. the other ones up, up the line. What happened is, you now have the ability to offer that to other people, mm -hmm. correct? Yep. So now you're offering that. How did you get to be that person that started offering this to others? I mean, just helping the coaching side. I mean, that's- When did, when did you transition to like business owner slash I'm really just gonna coach these people to win and help the coach them to help me help them, help me do that thing, that dance? It was probably, so I know what happened is I sold, so I did uh, did Flowtown with Ethan, Yep. made money, exited, he became multimillionaire. That was, that was my favorite part of that transaction. And then I did another company called Clarity. A lot of people know that one, clarity.fm. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So that was a really fun ride, exited that. 
moved to started having a family met my I met my wife around the Flowtown days but we have two boys now but they were babies we're living in San Francisco San Diego and I meet um, Travis Houston do you know Travis yeah yeah that's so that dude okay. that lived maybe that, that's how we met too through Travis yeah. yeah his conversation with me he used to co-work in a spot called the friend of Chuck so he called it the Fockers Okay. okay, so it was like this corner office in Chuck's building. They had a company downtown. And I met Travis, and Travis is like, "Oh, you're the Clarity guy. Like, I I seen you on like your podcast and all this stuff." And I was like, "Oh, thanks." He goes, "Dude, have you ever thought of doing YouTube?" And I was like, "I'm I don't want to do YouTube. Like, that's a dumb idea." And he's like, "But he shows me all these people. He was working with JJ Version at the time. He shows me the you know he talks to me this about like the 2015, business. right? This 16? would have been 2015. Yeah, 2015, yeah. 16." And I remember the first YouTube I ever shot that's never been published, but the first time I actually thought to myself, I'm gonna shoot a video, was at my buddy Chuck's office on a Saturday. Travis told me a camera to buy, and I sat there by myself and I would just talk. And I, just, and I thought, I gotta change scenes. So I like went into every conference room and I would talk about like email management and essentially- <laughs> Did you change the, shirts to make it look different? No, okay. I wasn't that, that yeah, smart. Sophisticated. Yeah, but that was probably the beginning. And then the YouTube channel blew up. And then people started asking me for, you know, advisory consultant. I said, I don't really do that. And it was probably two years after I started the YouTube that eventually I created my first coaching group. And then since then built one of the largest in the world. And that's the, that's the coolest thing in the world. So you're basically solved your problem. Now you're coaching thousands and thousands oh, yeah. of organizations and individuals and companies to do everything you always wanted to. And you pulled the Napster thing off because you post your own YouTube, <laughs> yep. which, is, which is incredible. So, all right, let's, let's fast forward this because uh, time-wise, let's get this uh, where it needs to be and give everybody the big win. I'm, lo I'm loving this. So awesome. there's hope for everybody. There's hope for everybody out there. You two can do this as well. So uh, entrepreneurs out there watching, listening to this, what is the fastest way to go from like, I really want to turn this into a real business. I want to get some leverage in my life. And then I want to get into your book. Let's do both conversations. ADD style at once. Yeah. So what is the biggest way that somebody can go and just get honest quickly? What questions can they ask? What can someone do to really ask themselves? Do they really want to screw around and be a firefighter for the rest of their life? How do we get people in prevention Actually mode? Actually become a business builder and an owner. Not okay, a, yeah. how, do we, how do we do that other than, it's, it's, I, yeah. I want to like, like if you had yeah. to in three minutes get a room full of people to convert the ones that are ready to go, yeah. what do we do? It's literally a time and energy audit. I would sit okay. down with you, I'd say, okay, that's what coaching calendar. looks like, right? Yeah, and Let's this is what's the first thing in my book. The buyback loop starts with audit for your time and energy. So we look at the last two weeks of your life, okay? And to the degree you can remember, if you don't, like when I work with people, it's we write it down and then we review it. But if I'm sitting here with a bunch of people, that's what we're doing. I'm saying, look at your calendar for the last two weeks. Tell me what you did with your time. And then we're gonna use a green highlighter and a red one. And you're gonna highlight in green things you enjoy doing, in red things you hate doing that take your energy. And then we're gonna use a pen and we're gonna put a dollar sign next to each one of those tasks and ask yourself, if you had to pay somebody some money to do that for you, is it a $1 sign or is it a full dollar sign? $4 sign is like what you would have to pay somebody to, to run the company or to, Got it. right? And, it's, it, and it scales at every level. But then once you have that time and energy audit, you take everything that's red, that's $1 sign or $2 signs, you put it into a bucket, and that's the only next hire you should make. And that is the problem that people are doing right now. The buyback principle states, you don't hire people to grow your business, you hire people to buy back your time. If you do the second, you get the first. If you do the first, you definitely don't get the second. Got it, so it's not about just hiring people to do the job, it's no. to get your time back. You as the CEO, free up your time. Give yourself the privilege of working on things that light you up and trust in the process that that will make you way more money. Because what you'll do is you'll avoid building a business you grow to hate. And that is what kills companies. 
So it's not, the, it's not the company ideas that screw it up. It's the entrepreneur. It's always the entrepreneur. It's the, the firefighter. It's there, that desire the to be a firefighter. The market's there. It's never people like, oh, this happened and that happened. No, no, no. You didn't have the space to look at your business strategically as a problem. So, so let's talk about this. Talent. Where do people screw up when they think of the word talent? Because yeah. we have done Indeed and LinkedIn and recruiters and all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw those words out there because it yeah. drives me fucking nuts. Yeah. Um, where, where, do you, where do we go wrong and what can we do better? Yes. Yeah. So... My philosophy on talent is there is no magic pond that I go fishing in, Michael goes fishing in to find top talent. What we are is really great pickers and it's a skill. So my philosophy, and I call it the test first hiring method, it's in the book, is first off, let's build a wide top of funnel. You want a lot of people applying and for certain roles for me, director and above, I'm going outbound. I'm investing the time to ask myself which companies have the talent that I need and I am personally messaging those people on, on LinkedIn for advice. I love that. And you're walking up to them and you're attempting to find them in your life. Oh yeah, I'm always looking for talent around me. All right, listen, let me take this opportunity right now congratulate you for living a life that screams average sucks. How do I know that? You're listening to this right now and I can guarantee you're a person that wants more in life. So one, congratulations. And two, I bet you're looking for a shortcut. How do I get there quicker? How do I make this stick more? And since 2008, the fastest way that we've showed people how to become a person that lives a life that screams average sucks, and on top of that, become a person of influence and get what they want in this world is our core live event. We've got one coming up very soon. The website is simple, michaelburnoff.com forward slash core live. All the information, all the videos, and everything is there to find out more, and also an incredible early bird special to give you a big old discount. Again, michaelburnoff.com forward slash core live, and I'm excited to see you there. This is, I, I want to know this for me. Yeah. If this makes it on the podcast, great. So what are yeah. the indicator lights? Um, you meet someone you're at, we joked around Tim Hortons earlier, you're in yeah. Canada, you're at a coffee shop. Oh yeah, even like, so let's say I meet, uh, and this happened, uh, it wasn't Tim Hortons, but it was the valet guy, his name was Michael. At, great name. At, yeah, at the Delta Bow in Moncton, where okay. I grew up. And you know, I had a speaking gig, so I pull up and I was like, hey man, like I gotta run, I'm supposed to be on stage in three minutes, I'm sorry I'm late, you know, can I go? He's like, absolutely sir, no problem, Where, where's your talk? And he gives me the directions, he actually like runs with me to make sure I didn't get lost. So anyways, I go do that, run back down, you know, give him my thing, he knew I was in a rush, he kept my car out front. Wow. And then when I get in the car, you know, give him his tip, get in the car, and I look and he put two bottles of water in my cup holders. Got it. So I'm like, I call his boss, okay, like I called the hotel and I said, I need to talk to the manager. The woman's like, what's it about? And I said, it's about Michael. She's like, oh, sorry to hear, you know, gets the manager on the phone and I Start said, to apologize. Yeah. yeah, and I just said, hey, I need to, we need to talk about Michael. And she's like, oh, sir, I'm sorry, you know, what, what can I help with? And I said, he is so incredible that if you don't treat him right, I'm gonna offer him a job. And she just started laughing and I, she goes, yeah, we really, you know, Michael's awesome, thanks for saying that. I said, I gotta be honest, like I'm absolutely blown away. Now I didn't steal him, but every time I'd see him, I'd be like, when you're ready, let me know. Cause like for me, that's, dude, I don't care if it's customer success, support, uh, EA, dude, come hang out at my house. Like just cool people, great people that actually can read the play, think about the kind of what's gonna happen next, have the right attitude. like you. Either that's part of who you are and drives you. Like, yeah, you, you can hire for the soul, train for the role, but like some stuff is innate and that's what I'm looking for. Well, well let me ask you this, because this, this would be really interesting. So let's talk about the transition right now. This would be amazing. So you meet a guy, great valet, awesome. 
he reaches back out to you and he's like, I'm, what is what does that look like going from I'm going to teach you to, from being a valet? You you did talk to me about that conversation. How do you? Yeah, I just like give me like the, no, the no, three no, minutes is, synopsis. I do this all this is, the time. This yeah. is this is great because this is what our people would love to know. Yeah, because they're always looking for talent. Totally. Walk me through this. Yeah, and and like be open to talent showing up in your life on your vacation. You know, as you're going about town, you're buying something from someplace. Like the people around, just most people aren't intuitive. Like they're not broadcasting or receiving, right? They're like heads down, distracted on their phone. And they literally could have met that person. They could absolutely transform their life at the hardware store, but weren't connecting one and one. I literally go through the world going, where's the opportunity? It's right there. It's it's easy. I just got to be open to it. So that conversation would have been like, hey, Michael, if he reached out and he said like, you know, I'm thinking of doing something else. I always ask people five years from now, we cannot be working together, so let's just take that off the table. But you absolutely leaned into your dreams and your goals and you're living your best life, your perfect life. I need you to describe to me what that looks like, where you live in, what does your life look like, what are you doing? What kind of people are you working with? We can't work together though, let's take that off the table. You're taking that off the table so there's no threat. I'm taking it off so they don't try to sell me what they think I want. Got it. Because when you're interv when you're interviewing people, they want to, you know, you ask them that. It's like, well, I'm going to be the best director of ops for you. I'm going to be the best marketing. You know, and it's like, no, no, no. Like, pretend we can't work together and you are allowed to dream big and swing for the fences and do the thing that's really on your heart. Then they tell you. And what I look for is people that what they intuitively want to do, their, what I call their most selfish self, is aligned with what I need them to do for me. So when I asked that question to uh, you know, my creative director, Sam, yep. okay, and he says at 16, 17 years old, we started working together, right, six years ago, I want to eventually own a creative agency and I want people that work for me, da, da, da. Well, it turns out that's kind of what I need to be done inside my company. So I knew in that moment, if he expresses that to me, that I don't have to remind and cajole and motivate because his intuitive motivation is to acquire the knowledge, the skills, the experience to get ready to go do that for himself. Then all I got to do is make sure I create a context and a container where he would rather do that with me than go do it by himself. Got it. So he doesn't have to do it himself right off the bat. No, and hopefully if he wants to, we can. If not, and he won't. and then what happened is eventually we ended up we were traveling one day, and I was like, dude, why aren't we doing that thing you want to do? And he's like, I don't know, I'm having a lot of fun. I said, well, let's let's get on that. So we literally became business partners, started a whole new company, a studio, different corporation, and just, very cool. Yeah. So it all started with one simple question. You can't work with me. Mm -hmm. Is that how does this go? Like, yeah, yeah, we, can't, that. we can't be working together. We can't be working together. Yeah, so we take this off the table. So it's boom off to the side. Yeah, pretend like we we never talked and yep. you can't work with yep. me. You wake up in five years and you're living your best life. What are you doing? Who are you hanging out with? What does your work look like? Tell me where you're living. I want to know. If I had, I remember one one person I was interviewing. She says five years I'm going to be living in Portland on a bee farm. Okay, she was in Brazil. She wasn't close to Portland. She didn't have a bee farm. So what's fun for me is like anytime I would see her, I'd be like, hope you're learning the skills to get ready for your bee farm. Like she, she appreciated it. I remember, even though she wasn't doing that in our company, it didn't matter. Cause my job now is to figure out how can I support your dreams? If you can figure out what somebody wants to do in five years and wake up every day to teach them the skills to be better in your role that you need for your business, but then also support their goals, they're gonna self-motivate towards that. And my philosophy is, and I've heard other people say this, is that I have to have a dream and vision big enough for everybody else's dream and vision and goals to fit inside of. You heard that in one of the speeches you did for the wealth, yeah. wealth event. So then you, you might've met Anne who's here. Yep. Okay. 
Well, Anne's a funny one. I'll tell you a story I've never we talk shared. talk about Anne because Anne's out there. So we can talk She's about out there. Let's, she let's, can't hear. She loves coming on, on a podcast just okay. so you know if you want to invite her right. ask a question. But I remember I was, I was having this conversation with Anne because I do it pretty much with all my direct reports. And I said, you know, five years from now, can't we be working together? What are you doing? And she goes, well, I don't really know. I said, pretend you did. Right? That's a, yeah. my favorite question is pretend you did. And she goes, well, I know this. I want to be, what did she say? I want to be managing a fleet of jets. I want to be managing an estate with multiple homes. And I want to be hobnobbing with celebrities. I don't have a fleet of jets. You know what I mean? So like I'm sitting there and I don't know that many celebrities and I'm thinking, oh crap, I'm going to lose Anne. Now that's a scary question for a lot of people to ask their team because what if they answer those kind of questions? So in that moment I go, if I figured out how to make all that happen, would you stay to do that with me? And she said, maybe. Or said maybe. Maybe. Okay, maybe. I felt like it was a maybe. It was Did probably she, like was a, maybe? So yes or maybe? Eh, I don't know what she said. I felt like a maybe. She, but she said like, well, essentially we'll see. So I was like, oh crap. I, I really need to like create this, this future that she sees herself in or I'm going to lose her and she's incredible. So within three months, got my first jet. Fantastic. Bought another real estate, you know, some, another home, like it literally, and I'm, I'll be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have done it really kind of made sense, but it was like heavily motivated by the fact that I need to, to, jet to get her to stay. <laughs> and she laughs cause she's managing all the private stuff now. And she, she said I, jets. She didn't she, say jets. She so did got, say jet with the NAS. And, yeah. and a couple of times we've had to like do some charges, a lot of people, but now she's understanding that she's going to be careful what she wishes for, because now it's like, she's dealing with the complexity of figuring out the airports and yep. all the structure and the coordination, all that that comes with that. But I just love that that idea of like asking your people, what does five years look like? And then you now have a clear idea that, hey, I better communicate that vision. Now that I know what they want, and if I wanna keep them, I gotta figure out how to create this in this vehicle, this environment where what they told me can happen because as soon as they feel like that thing isn't probable, you know, they quiet quit, they start looking at other positions, like. That's just what happens. So, so let's take this other direction here too. And then this, this is interesting because I'm never, I'm always the positive, oh, it's all gonna work out. Let's take the other alternative. Let's say you ask that same question and you get a ridiculous answer. Happens. You know, I felt like Joe Rogan saying that ridiculous answer, right? Yep. And you get that crazy answer and it's like, yeah, this doesn't match. Walk me through that too. Yeah, honestly, I'm like, that's awesome. And then what happens? I realize I probably have to be Make sure I have load balancing. So, okay, go, go. Yeah, yeah. Like okay. essentially, because it doesn't sure. always. Because people watching this right now, it doesn't always work out. Perfectly. No, 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 no. no. It. I mean, fifty percent of the time, maybe what they, you know, you might just be a stopping point in their career to something bigger, and that's totally fine. We've had millions of those over the years. No, and it's I fantastic. always and and like my philosophy, and I tell this to people: if you show up every day for at least three to four years for me, I will absolutely go to bat for you to create any dream you want. Okay. I'm just asking for three or four years. I'm not asking for a lifetime. Yep. I'm asking not for eighteen months. Because holy crap, the amount of people that can't stick in a job for 18 months blows my mind. Yep. I understand there's a role I got to play. I got to show up. I got to you know create an environment where it's positive and you know and you got the resources to do what you need to do. So like I'm not saying it's 100% on you. I'll I'll own you know a big part of it. But if they say that, then I'm just like cool. Now I just know that hey, when I'm thinking with my team strategically, like who are going to be the people that grow with the organization, they're probably just not the person that's going to end up taking over whole department. Fine. When that opportunity arises, reach out to my head of people and say, we're gonna have to go external, right? Now I might check that. I might be like, hey, six months ago, you said this to me, is it still that way? 
They might go, you know what? Like, honestly, I'd rather build this thing with you because I didn't realize how cool it could be. Fine. But yeah, I'm, I'm totally okay. I just think it's crazy for people to not to know that. If you have a direct report, you should know exactly what their five-year goal is or one-year goals are. And may, may, as you know, Michael, most people can't explain what they're five and one, which is a process you should actually run inside your company. Help people make their own visions for life. What a crazy idea. And then once you know it, then our job is to make sure that you show them the path. I mean, I had a, a finance person once, I asked him this question, okay? This person is making 65 grand a year. Okay. you know, bookkeeping type role. And I asked him five years from now, what do you want to be? You know, what do you want to do? The financial part's actually a big part of that. So so it's, where do you want to be doing? You know, I want to be doing this, this, and this, cool. What kind of money do you want to be making? That one freaks people out, right? Entrepreneurs do not want to hear about their current employees having a vision for a bigger number because they're hoping they're going to be happy not paying them more. I mean, most people, you know So what let's I mean? say somebody says, let's okay. Somebody, this is what happens. Yeah. She literally says, says 300,000. Okay, got it. And I go, that's what I was gonna ask you. Yep. And I go, cool. Here's the way it works. If you want 300, then we need to figure out how you produce 3 million. Got it. 10x it. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, people that make 300 in my organization are responsible for revenue and they directly can correlate their effort, their team structure to 3 million in net new top line revenue. And she's like, well, I'm in finance. How do I do that? I said, beautiful question. You tell me. And so what was fun is that I didn't, it wasn't my responsibility to figure that out. It was me to communicate what needs to be true for that to happen, then put, put it back on her and say, you tell me. Because I, I go, if you don't want, do you want direct report? She's like, no, I don't like doing that. There's a zero chance that you're gonna be, and, and you'll have to find it and show it to me, but I can't think of a position where you as an individual contributor can make 300 grand with no direct reports, producing an extra 3 million top line revenue from a finance department. But by all means, over the next few years, try to find it. And if you do, I'm, I'm an open, like, let's sit down and figure it out. You might find some weird tax loophole thing that nobody else knew and you manage it and game on. You are 100% focused on that. Very rare. But what was great is that she now had like a uh, understanding, like for me to do that, it requires me to have a team. My social anxiety probably has to be dealt with. The fact that I don't know how, to, you know what I mean? The fact that I don't know how to communicate clearly half the time. And if I have other people that I'm trying to lead, probably needs to be fixed on, you know what I mean? So they get a, they get a path. They essentially, get, yeah, we call it a learning development plan. All right, so this is the one thing I love about this, one I love about the title, and you were talking about earlier, you know, what went into making the, even just the cover of the book. Buy back your time. Every entrepreneur watching this has to realize that you've earned money, you have some more money than you had earlier, and your desire is to literally take that leverage, that capital that you have, and to buy back your time. So what is the biggest win? If you were to say, I'm really loving reading this too. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. And the reason I could tell you took time to write it, because this is your blood, sweat, and tears in this thing, yeah. and some stuff you probably to push yourself to, to write. My question is, what happens? I haven't completed it yet. What happens when somebody purchases this, starts reading it, and then completes this book? What happens in their business in their life? Literally, their business will, the, the, the profit will double, and their time back will double. And that is my commitment to everybody that reads it. If you follow the strategy, and it's very simple, the replacement ladder lays it out. Most people have to go back and fix the things they've made some bad decisions around, but the math works out. I'm a math and mindset guy, and I show you the math where you literally buy back your time, your profit will increase, and the amount of demand on your time goes down by half. So we offer freedom. So at the end of the day, you get what the entrepreneur always wanted. This basically could be titled also, 
build a business you always wanted. You could do it. You could buy the business you always wanted by finding the people you need to get the things done that you don't really want to be doing. But that is a way better title. Yeah. So which I love. So so how do people? What is the best way to get the book? Because I know there's a million. You can get it anywhere. Yeah. But what is the best way for our audience to get a copy of this book? Yeah. So buybackyourtime.com is the URL. If you we'll put that on yeah. the thing. Yeah. And everybody should buy it there because then I give you access to the bonus resources. Okay. But I want to do something special for your audience, Michael, that I don't usually do. So a lot of people in the book, they're like, okay, I need to hire an executive assistant. Yep. Arguably, it's the best hire. Um, if some, if everybody listening goes to Dan Martell on Instagram, find me two L's of Martell on Instagram, you okay. follow me. So that's all I'm asking. Just message me, say you came, just type EA and message me, say yep. you came from Michael's podcast, yep. and I will send them my internal Google Doc direct link to my SOP with my assistant. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, so you'll give, you'll give them the, the I will goods. give you the goods yep. for you to absolutely finally, especially use it, have virtual assistance and all this stuff. I'm yep. going to give you what you need to be incredibly successful. I love that. Super shortcut. So uh, biggest piece of advice you'd give any entrepreneur out there that is in that middle stage that you were in? What is the last thing you'd want to share that their business is average? They don't want it to be average. They know average sucks. They live, live our words. What is the last piece of advice that you would give anybody who's stuck in that middle ground somewhere between the Clark phase and uh, moving back to San Francisco and has not built what they need? What would you recommend they do right now? Sit down by yourself quietly and describe your vision for your life. So precise that it's the same specificity as you can describe your current reality. That's because most people do not know what they're aiming at. That's so simple. I love it. Go out there and get the book, everybody. Appreciate you. Incredible show. Loved having you here. And we're going to have to do this again. We have a lot more oh, things to pick up and it, cover. Michael. Appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks, it. Absolutely. Well, guys, I want to take a quick opportunity right now and remind you that Average Sucks is not just an incredible podcast. It is a way of life. It is a way of being. And the title of my best-selling book that shows you step-by-step, step, I literally walk through exactly how in my life and in the lives of our incredible students, I showed them how to live an above average life, whether it's in your business, whether it's with your finance, with your health, any area of your life that you're looking to scream those words, average sucks, get to the next level, get out of your box in life. This book will show you exactly how to do it. Get your copy at averagesucks.com or Amazon or wherever books are sold. Get your copy right away and get out there and start living a life that screams average sucks. Get the book.